1: Trapped is an understatement. You're a prisoner, living under the illusion of freedom, locked up in the jail of your own mind. Without the physical walls, bars, and guards, the prison is difficult to perceive. Yet it's always there, and you're living inside of it. You haven't been able to perceive it because it's in disguise and hidden from you in the best possible place in plain sight. You even gave it a name, you dubbed it reality. Your prison is disguised as your reality and it's so well hidden, you could be facing a life sentence you'll never escape. You might get lucky and experience a traumatic event that forces you out after a few decades, or you could do what is required to discover the prison yourself and break out before it's too late. Chris King spent years trapped in his own mental prison and now knows that escaping it is not only possible but necessary to make the dent in the universe that you imagined, forever changing it, free yourself. Valerie Atelli's interviews Chris King, the author of Renegotiate Your Existence, Unlock Your Impossible Life. Imagine making the impossible, or even the unimaginable, a reality in one-fifth the time everyone thought it would take. And imagine doing it with zero stress. This is what is possible in flow. Peak performance executive coach and speaker Chris M. King sets up the conditions for flow, also known as the zone. He facilitates the journeys that lead to the discoveries that create sustainable advancements for organizations and individuals to exceed their personal and professional goals with velocity and even renegotiate their existence. Chris has a particular expertise with professional women and women-led focus teams, organizations, and initiatives, ensuring they are running their businesses and lives instead of their businesses and lives running them, go from the status quo to status flow. Chris successfully completed a master's program in spiritual psychology, spent four years working with the GAMC, Neuroscience Institute. Meet Chris at statusflow.net. Here is the interview with Chris King.
0: In your own words, who is Chris King?
2: Wow, in my own words, I'm, uh, <laughs> who am I? You know, I, um, what can I say to that? I've I've been called many things, uh, many of which I identify with. I've been called Yoda uh, in, in terms of wisdom and spirituality. I'm much more than the sum of my experiences, you know, I mean, I'm a, uh, I'm a living, breathing being. I'm, a, I'm an eternal soul encapsulated in a human body, you know, and I'm doing the best I can to navigate this world like anybody else, I suppose.
0: I love that. Um, the combination of knowing the wisdom you possess or how much of that wisdom you let it flow through you and then being humble about it. <laughs> That's a beautiful combination, Chris.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm merely the vehicle, right? You know?
0: <laughs> so what is life to you? Some say we have chosen to be here in a human body and we go through all the challenges we go through to learn lessons of love. Some say there's no reason for this to be at all. It's just a happening. What do you think or feel?
2: I think it's about choice, you know. You you can choose to make it mean nothing or you can choose to make it mean something. It, it's just a question, you know, there and neither one is right or wrong, right? It's what what works for, for you. Um for me, I believe that we are here at Earth School, you know, we we are all we are all Stardust, right? We're all energy. Everything in the universe is energy and we are we are a physical manifestation of energy and we are beings of light and, and energy and I choose to believe that a piece of me came down here as, you know, Chris King and uh, to have a certain experience. And, and, you know, here I am at earth school, uh, the universe experiencing itself to learn something and to, uh, to expand, right. As, as the universe is doing as we speak. So it's it's expanding physically. And I think through the human experience, it expands, you know, consciously.
0: Yeah. That's a, A very interesting paradox that being the universe in a human form, and then I wonder, the universe might hold the ultimate knowing, the truth, so why does it have to split? Why does it have to be in a human body and then look for itself? That's, it seems like a play to me, some sort of a dance, (laughs) it's a paradox.
2: Yeah, I well, you know, one of the things that I seem to have a knack for is pattern recognition. And the same way I imagine, the same way that I might go into a movie theater or or to watch a live theater performance, there's what we call suspension of disbelief, right? And And by agreeing that I'm going to pretend that this isn't a movie— Because that way I can have the experience that I want. I can relate to the characters. I can have an emotional experience or whatever. Well, what if life is very much the same way? What if the universe is saying, I'm going to pretend that this earth thing is a real existence and I'm going to go down there with suspension of disbelief so that I can have the experience that I want?
0: Ah. Right.
2: Huh. On earth as it is in heaven, right? I mean, who knows, right? I, again, these are just my stories, right? I, yeah, is it true? Yeah. I don't know. These are my stories, right?
0: Yeah, a very lovely one. We have, yeah, we tend to have um, incredibly loving and lovely stories. In the end, that's interesting. I wonder if we can hold this space for the unknown of not knowing anything, not believing in anything, and just being here. And kind of holding, embracing life, what we call life, but basically is the unknown. No one really knows what this is, but it seems like we, we love the idea of explaining our way and giving titles and labels and stories. It seems to me this is such an interesting adventure that we can never say we know anything for sure. I just realized that, that I cannot say I know anything.
2: Yeah, in in the work that we do, there there are very few absolutes, if any, and um, you know, so we 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 play in the gray areas. What is another word
0: for flow? What would that be?
2: Yeah, flow is commonly referred to as being in the zone or runner's high. Um, yeah. Stand-up comedians call it the forever box. It has many different names, um, and essentially, it's it's an optimum state of consciousness where you feel your best, you perform your best. You're never stressed out, and and you're just at one with everything that you're doing. It sort of happens magically.
0: Ah, you just said a word that caught my attention about flow. Yes, always not being stressed or never being stressed.
2: So that caught my attention. Is that possible, Chris? It is, it absolutely, think about, every, everybody can, can access Flow. This is available to anybody. And, and if, um, if you think of when maybe you were in college or school or even working on something at work, when time sort of disappeared, right? There was, you were so focused on what you were doing that it felt like half an hour went by. When you looked up, it was like two or three hours had passed and you had this amazing piece of work product in front of you. If you remember, there was no stress when you were working on it. You were just writing or playing the instrument or whatever it was you were doing, you were creating. There was just the thing that you were working on, and it seemed to happen effortlessly, right? Time passed in this weird way. That, that's what flow essentially is, and you're never stressed out when you're in that space. Right. There, there is no stress or overwhelm because you're only focused on one thing.
0: I usually say becoming the moment, not even being in the moment. It seems like we merge with.
2: Exactly. Right? That, that's one of the signatures of a flow state. There's a merging, a blending of the ego and time and the, and the work itself. Right. This all sort of comes together. That sense of oneness mm. comes forward. And that's that's a signature uh, element of a flow state.
0: Another question I have for you, it's spirituality. What is your idea of spirituality?
2: Oh, well, that's a great question. I, I love the easy question. You know? <laughs> <Right. laughs> <Who laughs> Define spirituality. <laughs> um, you know, well, it's like, like many, like most other things, it's very subjective. I, I think for me, spirituality is the idea that, that there is something more and beyond this. I have no idea what that might be right? And, and I think that this has nothing, spirituality and religion, you know, they may be tangential, but they don't, you don't need, you don't need to have one to have the other, right? You can be very religious without being spiritual at all. I think you can be very spiritual without being very religious. So it's, it's a very subjective thing. I think if there is a common thread, it's the recognition or the belief that there's something more than this, whether or not you know what it is, is immaterial, there's something.
0: What about success? How do you define success these days?
2: Ooh, that's another great question. At the end of the day, success is a feeling for me. How do I feel? You know, it's not about did I win or did I lose? Did I, did I make the money or did I not make the money? Did I, you know, did I achieve the goal or did I not achieve the goal? How do I feel when it's done? You know, as athletes say, did I leave it all on the field? You know, did I do everything I could? Did I give it 100? If the answer is yes, I'm good.
0: That goes back to the idea of choice. How much choice do we really have? Or the idea, the feeling of choice? I know you believe in choice. I don't for some reason. I used to, but then it faded away. Now I believe in something that we call nature. That Actually, in your book, you talked about nature in a very interesting way. That was uh, chapter 4. Talk to me in general about the idea of choice and free will. Why do you believe in such a thing?
2: Well, I, I think I choose to believe in it, right? I mean, this is where the paradoxes <laughs> yeah. come in, right? If there is no choice, then yeah. something has already predetermined <laughs> that I will choose to believe that, right? Um, <laughs> yes. You know, I, and I don't look at it necessarily as <laughs> choice versus control, right? I wouldn't necessarily say that like I have all this control. I do believe, again, because I have an ego construct, because I'm, because I'm actually crazy enough to think I am Chris M King, right? Then I think <laughs> yes, I'm crazy yes. enough to have the choice, right? So, <laughs> uh, as that yes. ego <laughs> construct, I believe that I have choice. Um, I, I do think it's all. It is also a function of capability. Like there, there might be times when I don't know. I get into an argument with my fiance or something, and I'm thinking to myself, like I don't want to say that one thing that's going to make things worse. And I'm choosing not to say it, but then I say it, right? So I and and I have no choice (laughs) because I'm not biologically (laughs) capable of doing the thing. You know, it's it's what we call the amygdala hijack, right? There's there's a part of my brain that is shut down and a part of my brain that's turned on, Um, and unfortunately, the part of my brain that's turned on is not capable of making the right choice. So (laughs) it it is a function of biology in some uh, some aspects, Um, but I do think uh, you know it does give us the appearance, if not the illusion of control.
0: Mm, If I have choice, then
2: I have control. And humans generally like to feel safe and control is a mechanism for safety.
0: I was just reflecting the other day about this idea or this feeling that we are able to rationalize and understand these things, how the body works and from where we operate. That might be what we call a spirit, because it seems like outside of the whole thing, seems like we are looking from a distance, and I can see the big picture. So that might be that. But then I wonder if it, <clears throat> that's another ability we have—the brain and the mind. No one really knows everything about it, so it's a mystery. After all right, and all. we do
2: love a mystery. You know, humans, we do love our mysteries. <laughs> mm,
0: yeah. <laughs> yes. I have two more questions for you—the warm-up questions. This one's a fun one from my perspective. What do you love most about being in a human
2: body? What do I love most? I I think what I love most is it provides me an experience that I couldn't otherwise have as relative to my limited understanding of consciousness and spirituality, right? Being an individual in a human body with an ego identity, with the illusion of separation, provides me the ability to... You know, ride a bike and experience what. What is it like to have the wind on my face? What is it like to touch another human being or or hug? What is it? You know, what what are all these experiences that otherwise I could not have without physical sensation? Right. So I think it's it's what it provides me. Right. It's the vehicle.
0: Is there something in particular, Chris, that you appreciate about being a human body? Is there something?
2: I love its strength and fragility right the human body is incredibly resilient and strong and can keep going and has the ability to heal itself and it can do 20 times more than we think it can and at the same time it's so fragile it's so delicate so easily broken right so there's there's something really beautiful about the duality of that. What
0: is freedom to you? What is to be liberated or enlightenment? What would that
2: be? Ooh, I, I wonder if those are all the same thing for me. Freedom involves autonomy, you know, where I get to make the decisions, you know, to, to make the, the choices that I make uh, for my life, in my life. There's all, but I tell you, the freedom that I think is most important is the, the freedom from the cage that we unconsciously create for ourselves, you know, most of us are living in some form of mental prison and we are completely unaware of it because we simply call it reality. This is the world of our understanding. And so to be able to step outside of that and and truly free ourselves, it's very difficult because that usually involves letting go of some very familiar and comfortable things and things that we may even really want, right? So but to, to truly free ourselves from those constructs, is it's beautiful and, and very difficult in my experience.
0: Yeah. And this is the topic of your book, Renegotiate Your Existence, Unlock Your Impossible Life. I love that. I said to you in an email when I read the title, the word impossible, that caught my attention immediately. Because I play with that idea that this is the impossible, as I said earlier. So what was the main inspiration and intention of writing your book, Chris?
2: Well, I, I wrote the book because initially I conceived it as a marketing piece. You know, it's, here's, here's a thing that we're going to put in the world. It'll have some, some interesting things and what have you. Um, but a, a strange thing happened about halfway through the process of writing it. I started to care. About it, and it it somehow became more important to me. It was no longer just a marketing piece, and so I wrote, you know, um, with my my co-author Michael Ashley, we structured it, and I wrote the first part, and um, and he and I did that together. And when I went through it after it was done, I basically rewrite the rewrote the entire book because and and <laughs> and even when when Michael came back to me, Michael Ashley, he said uh, he said this is very different than than how we started. I said, yeah. Yeah, we need to do some work. And so, um, but and he's a brilliant co-author, really helped me to, to to put it together and make it what it has become, which is basically a toolbox. You know, here are the stories and here are the tools and here's why they work through the lenses, call it spirituality and through the lenses of science. Like this is why this works and here's how you can do it. And I wrote this because it's has a lot of my own experience in how I was able to completely change my world and live in a life that previously was impossible.
0: And that's definitely how so many of us think a lot of time. And that's why I questioned the idea of choice, because we have all these thoughts. and, um, And then I wonder where those thoughts come from, because I do love the concept of inner peace, of acceptance, of gratitude, being in the moment, present with the moment and become the moment. And just whatever comes, let it come the way it does without trying to get in the way. I really love the idea of the word flow that you speak about because that resonates true to me when it comes to my understanding, days understanding. So how did you come up with the phrase status flow. I love that too,
2: instead of status quo. Thank you. Yeah, well, and that's exactly how we came up with it, because the idea was the status quo is just not good enough you know it's not it's not creative enough it's not fast enough it's not interesting enough it's not anything enough you know the standard the norm <laughs> the it's just it's it's vanilla ice cream you know it's fine but you know it's there's nothing particularly exciting about that what if you could move into a higher level what if you could move into something that that creates the impossible 10 times faster than you thought it could right and, and that's one of the signatures of flow is that it feels very, for lack of a better word, it feels very flowy, right? <laughs> you know, like things kind of happen effortlessly. Um, and the idea is how, how can we do this with ease and grace and speed and creativity without stress, without grind, without friction, without weight? You know, how do we, how do we go from the status quo to a status flow?
0: Yes, that's the whole point (laughs) to read your book. But what about good stress? I have asked the question, and some of my guests have said that it's actually something that's real, and it's very important actually to have stress, but in a good way, maybe not for too long. So, what is your understanding of stress from that? Sure. So,
2: okay, uh, this this can get a little complicated. Um, So let's 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 start with the, the premise there's no such thing as good or bad, right? Uh, Hamlet, act two, scene two, for nothing is either good nor bad, thinking makes it so. If we like it, it's good. If we don't like it, it's bad, right? So it's about how do we relate to whatever the thing is? And the question is, I don't need to relate. It's not good or bad. And I don't need to relate to it in a way that's good or bad. It's a question of alignment. Is the way I'm relating to this aligned or misaligned with the outcomes that I'm looking for? Now, stress, having some measurable level of stress, and that that measure is up to the individual, right? That's kind of a a moving target. What are the the tolerances, the threshold for any individual? They're they're going to be variable. But what is the perfect amount of stress to motivate me, to mobilize, to get moving, to make a change? So stress can be a quote-unquote good thing if you leverage it right? You can leverage your stress, you can leverage your anger, you can leverage your fear, your shame, your whatever. All of it can be put in service to achieving an outcome.
0: Yeah, it depends on the way we think, belief systems and all, right? Right, So true. Right,
2: This has an effect on neurochemistry, right? So there's a mind-body connection here. You know, stress creates a certain, you know, chemical concoction in the brain, and how do we navigate that so that it too is aligned with the outcomes that we're looking for?
0: How did you come to these insights and knowledge, Chris?
2: Well, it's, I think it started early. I think um, my father gave me a pretty solid foundation um, in, into this, this world. Uh, a lot of planted seeds that, that didn't uh, grow roots for quite some time. But it was, in addition to that, I think my experience... Navigating my own world, you know. I mean, I learned about this thing flow because I was a kid. I, I raced go karts and and I you know became an ice hockey player for a while through college, and I was a BMX guy, skateboards, and all this. So I understood what it meant to be in the zone. But I, I did a master's program in spiritual psychology. I, I worked in a hospital, you know, in the neuroscience institute for a while. I mean, I've sort of bounced around quite a bit. And I have achieved the impossible. I decided at one point that I was living a miserable existence. I hated my job. I didn't want to do it anymore. I was doing, I was, you know, marketing director in the technology field. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to be a radio DJ, which is like the dumbest idea ever, uh, was at the time because statistically impossible. It's never going to happen. But I learned somewhere, uh, a few points in my life. That the impossible is totally doable if you're committed enough. If you are absolutely committed to something, and willing to do whatever is required to make it happen, you cannot fail. Like it, it, so it shall be. It just requires a level of commitment that can be, you know, even painful at times. Yeah.
0: Every time you say the word impossible, this commitment to make something possible. I love to begin with, that's what I write about and I talk about, with the idea that we are the impossible already, the fulfillment of life. To be here in a human body, it is fulfillment. It is the impossible that came true. All and like
2: anything else, impossible is little more than a construct of the mind. Right. Because if you go back, you know, a few years, it was impossible to fly a plane. It was impossible to drive faster than 60 miles an hour. It was impossible to do anything that's ever been done. Right. So it's, it's simply a construct.
0: When it comes to a personal development, I noticed that you have you made a statement in your book. You say this work, it's not the result of personal development. It is due to personal destruction, Talk to me for a moment about that,
2: Chris. That might be my favorite line in the book, actually. Uh, I I love that line. Um, You know, they tried to take it out and I was like, no, we're not taking that line out.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. Yeah, um, I love that too.
2: Because if, um, you know, what's the first thing they do when they decide they're going to build a new monster casino in Las Vegas? They blow up the old one, right? And, And if you're going to build something new, something great, something incredible, something impossible, you're going to have to tear down what's already there. And it's, in my experience, for me, was violent and painful and absolutely terrifying until it shifted and it became curious and interesting and fascinating. There was something even beautiful about the pain involved. And, and Nietzsche understood this, you know, that, that struggle and progress were in relationship that, you know, Nietzsche was very much, uh, you know, that, that this is the way to get through, you know, embrace the suffering, or as they say in the military, embrace the suck, right. You know, struggle and process, struggle and progress are in relationship. And so, um, so yeah, I, I had, to, I had to destroy everything that wasn't working and, and even some things that were in order to <laughs> shift and, and move in a new direction.
0: The biggest death, I mean, or maybe the only death that might exist is the death of the me, of the constructed idea of who I am. And that's why most people don't really resonate with that message because it's really, really, like you call it the impossible. That might be the other impossible yeah, to do, to destroy who we believe we are. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And and it's all very hero's journey, you know. I mean, uh, so many of us have been on that and had you know, micro, we'll call them micro ego deaths as as well as macro ones and, you know.
0: So chapter nine, challenging our stories, that caught my attention as I talked to you off racket for a moment. The principle there is the longer you stay in any paradigm, the more normal it seems true. So in there you talk about abusive relationships, that they are mental prisons. So talk to me for a moment about that and how do we learn to recognize the patterns? Like you mentioned about doing a lot of destruction at the level of uh, belief systems and understanding of who you are. So I did that too, but I still see some of the patterns, some of of the resonance, the residues of that old personality still here. Yeah. Talk to me for a moment about that.
2: In, in the case of like an abusive, an abusive relationship, like they, they don't start abusive, right? It's not like in general, and, and I'm not a mental health professional in you know, with a specialty in this area. But my understanding is I don't think many relationships start with the abuse and certainly not the level of the abuse. But as things happen gradually, humans, in my experience, are dysfunctionally adaptable a little bit too much so, and we can normalize just about anything, right? So we can normalize somebody who doesn't, you know, somebody who goes from talking to us like, you know lots of compliments and very affirming and very kind to kind of indifferent doesn't really and then maybe it gets a little negative and then it gets more negative and then they get really mean and now there's physical altercations right but if this happens gradually over a long enough timeline we just we normalize it and the longer we stay in a certain dynamic the more normal that dynamic seems to be and from that point it can go down 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 just step by step by step and so um so, so you mentioned, um, patterns and, and that's exactly, you know, and, and we share this all the time in my work and clients and, you know, I'm stuck. I feel stuck. Well, what does stuck feel like? That stuck's not a feeling, right? Stuck is a, is a state of being. And, and in my experience and in my philosophy, there is no such thing as death save for stuck. Because even death is a transmission of energy. It's a transference, right? Something is in motion. But living in stasis, living in stuck, that is death. So it's, okay, here I am again. I'm in the same relationship, but now this, it's the same person with a different name. It's the same job with a different title or a different company. It's the same, same, same. It's all about pattern recognition. You know, i understanding where am I in this pattern? Here I am again. Okay, what are the conditions and circumstances? What were the behaviors, the thoughts, the feelings, ideas, the energies, everything? How did I get here? Like with no judgment, right? No shame, no judgment, no, oh, I'm so stupid. It's just, okay, interesting. How did I get here again? And I wonder how much we can
0: really destroy the constructed and conditioned mind and body though. It's biology, it's DNA. How can we really get away with destroying that? It seems like it that's really the impossible. This is the human body doing what it does and the conditions of the mind. Right.
2: It is malleable though, right? Because everything is a system, right? If we look at the solar system, it's a system, the universe is a system, a business is a system, a person is a system, and any system can be hacked and even optimized if you understand that well enough you can hack that system and recode it to produce a different reality and that's essentially the the core of the work that we do at status flow
0: for those who wanted to know more details about the stories and everything that your book has to offer please get the book but talk to me for a moment how do you work with your clients what it's like to work with you chris
2: Wow, that's. Uh, I guess that depends on the client you ask. Um, I, I think the the common threads will be we're, working with us is kind of like a, a very heart-centered, loving pickaxe and sledgehammer. <laughs> we're,
0: we're, we're, <laughs> yes. we're
2: very, you know, we're very connected. It's very <laughs> gentle and kind and caring and. It's it can be very intense, and we are going to knock down walls. We are going to unearth things that have been buried for a long time, and we're going to do it very quickly. It's um, it's not for the faint of heart. The work that we do is just it's. And I tell people, look, this is this isn't fun. Okay, it gets fun. It doesn't start fun, and and it actually gets worse before it gets better because people again because of that normalization you don't realize how deep in the hole you are because the lights have gone off. It's like, once we turn the lights on and you see how deep in the hole you are, it's really upsetting. That's <laughs> <So, laughs> so, so It's okay. So true. It's okay that we're this deep <laughs> in the hole. We're going to go and now you're going to see how deep you really are because you're deeper than you think you are. And, and it is going to be, um, you are going to be elevated beyond your, beyond your dreams at on the back end of this, you know, we have, we have a client that, um, we worked with her for about nine months. And when we, we initially got referred in, she said, I really want a seven-figure business. And, um, and I said, and I want to drop my stress level. I want to have a, a, a nomadic life. I want to kind of do the digital nomad thing. And then she half-jokingly said, you know, and if you can work a boyfriend in there, well, that'd be great, right? <laughs> so fast forward nine months. Yeah. She is currently in the process of acquiring one of her competitors, which will take her well over six figures for the business. She, her stress levels are, you know, less than half of what they were and probably a lot more than that. I'm, I'm going to be just light on the estimate there. She is living the digital nomad lifestyle. She travels all over the country whenever she wants, wherever she wants. And she does in fact have a boyfriend that she's been with for nine, uh, five months now, five or six months. So it's, you know, we, we produced and, you know, and she produced an impossible reality for her. What was impossible nine months ago? She's now living that life.
0: We're almost at the end. I'll talk to you. I could talk to you for much, much, much longer. I have another point that caught my attention in your book is chapter four. It's not your nature, it's your strategy. And the principle is what you call your nature are strategies and coping mechanisms you have created to deal with or even create limitations. So talk to me for a moment about the idea of nature and strategy. Sure.
2: I, um, I do tend to steer clear, as it says in the book, the argument of nature versus nurture kind of thing. Right. And I, and I can make the spiritual argument that your only nature is love. Right. But ultimately, people will say things, you know, the common phrasing that we hear day to day is, you know, that, oh, I procrastinate. It's just my nature. No, it's really not. This is a strategy that you have developed, you know, that designed, implemented, developed, honed, practiced for many years because it has a purpose, it has a function. Everybody has a belief system in their head, their, their root OS, right? The, the the operating system for a human being. And the strategies are typically designed to support something in that operating system. So I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about, like procrastination, for example. There can be a lot of reasons that somebody procrastinates. And it is probably a strategy designed to support an outcome, which supports the foundation in the belief system. So if I decide I'm going to procrastinate because I have a belief that something has to be hard in order for it to be valuable, I'm going to make it hard on myself by procrastinating so that it becomes valuable so that I'm proud of myself or something like that, right? So so why, why do we procrastinate? Sometimes we procrastinate because the task at hand is really boring. And so the procrastination is a strategy to make it more interesting by raising the stakes, right? Making it more urgent. Or maybe we'll procrastinate because it's super hard and I'm afraid of it. So now I'm experiencing fear and the procrastination is to to offload the fear, to delay having to deal with the fear, right? But it's not your nature, it's your training, right? It's your training and your strategy, whether you trained yourself or somebody else trained you or both, right? But it is a strategy, it's not your nature.
0: That makes sense. In in a way, because I love seeing the big picture. So it seems like we are all doing that. Everything we do is any strategy to cope with something. And the biggest challenge for most human beings is life itself. (laughs) Accepting life the way it is is a real challenge. Uh, The sense of control, so not having control, that's something that most people don't want to deal with. So that's why we create so many strategies, right? Creating so many purposes and businesses. You made me see life that way now at this point i'm seeing that way that everything's is it's almost like a survival strategy but in a way in a sense of emotionally psychologically survival yeah not
2: to not to get into like maslow's hierarchy of needs but yeah the strategies you know i mean humans like i said humans like to feel safe you know most things are oriented around comfort and safety and, and, you know, we're both physically hardwired, for, you know, phys- physically wired to be safe and comfortable, right? We want to be lazy and do little as possible. That's the way the human body is wired. It's the way the human brain is wired. It's it's designed to conserve energy. So it doesn't want to do anything it doesn't have to do. Um, so the, the orientation is typically around safety. and And safety is defined as familiar. Okay? Safety does not mean safe. It means comfortable and anything familiar is comfortable you can be in an abusive relationship and through familiarity normalization it's comfortable even though it doesn't feel like it emotionally psychologically it's the reality of your understanding and generally speaking humans are more comfortable in a familiar awful reality than they are in an unfamiliar fantastic one
0: yeah. Wow. That's sad to hear,
2: but it's true, right. isn't it? But safety is defined by familiarity. Comfort.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. And that makes sense to me, of course, uh, at some level. Thank you so much, Chris, for your presence, for sharing your wisdom, the work you do uh, and everything else in between that was activated and
2: felt. Today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I, I love talking about this and sharing. So thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you. And before we say goodbye, I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your
2: book? Oh gosh, I haven't, I haven't I hadn't prepared anything, uh, anything like that. I, I think I will share my favorite tool that we use with clients is chapter six is Banana World. Banana World is a fantastic tool and it's a way, it, it's, a, it's a very quick and entertaining way to get unstuck. So anybody that ever gets it stuck, the first tool I, re- I usually reach for is Banana World. It's, it really has a profound effect and it's a whole lot of fun.
0: Let me ask you this one, the ending questions, Chris. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving, losing the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way?
2: Well, I probably wouldn't bother paying my credit cards, you know. Yeah, that helps. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's much, you know. I mean, I I will probably be a little more present. I think even with with my years of training and dedication, I can still get. Um, you know, I have to this point been able to kind of get, get out of the moment and be distracted and not be present. Um, so I think maybe maybe that's one place that I would put some attention. And my last question is, what are three things about life
0: you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body?
2: Three things that I would love for them to experience. Thing number one, the world through someone else's eyes uh, to shift perspective, right? Gain Incredible insights and understandings that they wouldn't have otherwise that they wouldn't otherwise have, right? To be able to see that through somebody else's belief system, because everything we see goes through our own belief system. The fear of death, one of the things that I—I I mean, the true fear of death. Um, one of the things that I'll say to people, I, I, like I said, I like to disrupt patterns, and so when somebody says to me, "Have a nice day," I don't say "You too" or, or have those kind of throwaway items, uh, those throwaway. Sp- scripts that we, that we use so often in our world. Somebody says, have a nice day, Chris. I say, momento more. Right? Remember, you're going to die. And it sounds morbid, but it's, it's, it, I pride it on the energy that's so beautiful and, and, on, and with the understanding that how important this moment is, how important today is, and how this is your opportunity to do all of those things, right? whatever they are. So the, the true fear of death. The third thing, something that is exhilarating and scary at the same time. So whatever that is for some, maybe that's a roller coaster or going down a hill on a mountain bike or skiing or whatever, but do the thing that's, that scares you and excites you at the same time because fear and excitement through a neurobiological lens is the same thing. The body and the brain don't know the difference between fear and excitement. So when you understand how to blend those things, um, it, it supports you in achieving your goals.
0: Yeah, you made me um, emotional even. When somebody says, I'll see you later, goodbye. Yeah, remember, because you will die. So true. Thank you so much again. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your work, Books, products, and future projects. Oh, thank you
2: so much. Well, the book is on Amazon. Again, renegotiate your existence, unlock your impossible life. Uh, you know, like I said, you can renegotiate your job or your relationship. You can renegotiate your entire existence on this planet. Uh, you can get us on uh, on Instagram at the Status Flow, and our website is statusflow.net. Wonderful. I'll have the link on
0: your podcast profile too, Chris.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. We'll talk soon. Bye
1: for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Chris King and his work, please visit statusflow.net. To
0: learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.